0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. My voice does not project very well. I will try, but if I need to talk louder, just tell me to speak up. It's really a pleasure to be here. I, I really enjoy, and I I wish they had an entrepreneurship program when I was here in school, uh, and I I judge some of the competitions and. And uh, I'm also an angel investor, and uh, in, have invested in quite a few startup companies. And it's, it's just amazing what's going on. So hopefully you'll take it. And my first question for you, can somebody give me a definition of entre- entrepreneurship? That's what this class is, isn't it? Anybody? What's that? That's, that's part of it, a little bit. But, uh, you know, I, I was in school a long time ago here. I majored in food science, and I can still tell you the definition of food science. It's the application of the basic sciences for the preservation and distribution of man's food. But entrepreneurship is defined as a person who organizes and operates a business taking on greater than normal financial risk. That's what it is. Now do you need to be, do you need to go to college to be an entrepreneur? I know quite a few very, very successful entrepreneurs. Uh, one of them that I met recently just has a GED. And he just sold his $50 million business uh, and retired. So anyway, you know, there's four types of entrepreneurs, according to one place that I read. Does anybody have an idea which, what those would be? Any clue? One small business, one is a scalable startup. And then there's a large company intrapreneurship, and I would imagine that's large companies funding ideas to develop crazy stuff in new businesses. And then social entrepreneurship, and I don't know what that is, I have no idea. So anyway. Now I got another question for you. What's the most important decision you make in your life. Anybody? Kind of, sort of. What it is, is how you spend your time. Because all you've got is time. Okay? If you spend your time here in college, uh, well, let me back up a little bit. The two biggest reasons for students flunking out of college in today's world. Anybody know what they are? Maybe this ought to be on your quiz, Eric. It's, no, it's it's being addicted to video games and porn, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's, I heard that somewhere, probably on the internet, and you know it's true. <laughs> But no, how you spend your time, that's all you have in life. And if you, if you spend your time purposely, you're gonna have better outcomes, I think. So. I, I look at entrepreneurs, and myself included, is what I call integrators, that integrate all these different disciplines to develop and manage a business. You gotta have the planning, the directing of operations, new ideas, managing conflicts, supervision, sales and marketing, and financial. And I was surprised when I looked this up, and I don't know how old this is, but the average salary in the U.S. for entrepreneurs, is only seventy grand a year, which was surprising to me. But uh, but then I'm going to start talking about me a little bit. And I've got a I've got a question. I've got a. Let's see if I can find it here. I had it here. Yeah, I got I got a hundred dollar bill for anybody that can answer that. Correctly, okay. What year did I graduate from high school? No cheating, okay. I'm going to take five guesses back there. No. No. What? No. No. <laughs> No, nope, <laughs> nope, <laughs> Yeah. go ahead, what's that, no I did, yeah. I w- I th- he told you I graduated from Mississippi State twice, no, okay, I'm going to put this back in my pocket, <laughs> That's enough. 1970, okay? And when I was in high school, we didn't even have calculators. They hadn't been developed yet. Think about that. You carry around this little thing in your pocket that's got more computing power than we had when we put a man on the moon. We didn't even have calculators. You know what we had for... Complex math, higher level math and chemistry and physics. Slide rules. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, anyway. Uh, Now, I invested $25,000 in 1995. And today I've got a $75 million company. How did that happen? Anybody have a clue? Well, go ahead. Come on. A a little bit. Yeah, well, kind of, sort of. But, but, uh, it was it was using my time wisely and effectively, okay, and hard. W- which you know I spent a lot of my time working hard, and uh, and they the, uh, they talk about entrepreneurs taking a higher than normal financial risk. I invested twenty five thousand dollars. I was in a position that I had. Uh, the company I was working for was sold. I had a contract that guaranteed me a year's severance and benefits, and it was only 25 grand. So it wasn't really that big of a risk, financially, at all, to get started. The, ri- the risk came later as I grew the business. But how I got into that business Started in, I think, 1973. Okay, so it took me from 73 to 95 to learn enough and make enough mistakes on other people's money to be able to be successful. And in 73, I started as an assistant manager trainee at a Kentucky Fried Chicken. After I'd gotten a 0.0 grade point average, my last semester in college, <laughs> so. Now on the other side of the coin, I've had a 4.0 in a PhD program, but I never finished it, so. Uh, but anyway, started at, at, at KFC, realized that I really enjoyed working with people and working with food. And I wanted to move up the food chain. I didn't want to have to work weekends, nights, holidays, the rest of my life. And I wanted to learn about food and about business. And there were two places in the country at that time that had a program that combined business and food science. One was Mississippi State, one was Cornell University. And I was from a place called Mishawaki, Indiana. It's not the edge of the earth, but you can see it from there. uh, I came down to Mississippi. Mississippi State's tuition at that time was $250 a semester, okay? And I I worked my way through school. Uh, Yeah, I worked full-time went to school full time. Uh, In my time at Mississippi State, I had a, I think a 3.96 undergraduate and a 3.98 in my master's. Um, And then, like I said, I went on to Purdue, started on a PhD, and the company funding my research came to campus and said they'd had a job that they'd like me to take a look at, but only had two problems. One, it wouldn't wait for me to finish my PhD. And I'm thinking that sounds good. And the second was they couldn't tell me what it was, because it was top secret. And I'm thinking that sounds even better. So the first product that we rolled out that I was a, a part of was the plastic ketchup bottle. Looks pretty simple. But it was a $10 million R&D project back in uh, 70, about 80, 81, 82, something like that. Next one was the uh, plastic can. And I uh, was named on a patent. I got $50 for it. And, uh, And an attaboy. I got recruited... From a, I was up in Illinois. Got recruited by a Mississippi company. It uh, was in the poultry business to be in charge of product development, quality assurance. And you've eaten some of the products that I've created over the years, or my team has created. It's not me, uh, but it, we developed all of the Wendy's chicken items, Dairy Queen's chicken items, Arby's, uh, Weight Watchers. It goes on and on, as far as uh, things. I was there from a startup to when the company sold to Tyson, uh, that division was about hundred and sixty million dollars. So It was a, a pretty good growth, pretty good run. Tyson took me over to Springdale and said, isn't it great being, great to have you as part of the team, look at this, look at this. Showed me all around, sat me down at the end of the day, said, you know your job's going to have to change. Would you like to do this or would you like to do this? And I, I thought that was a, a huge compliment. Um, I said, what I'd really like to do is be a supplier. And if I could have some of the seasoning blends that my team developed and sell to you through my company, I could take the whole R&D group out of Severance. And they just looked at me funny. But anyway, that's what got me off to the races. Uh, I had other people manufacturing for me, so I didn't have to have a big facility or a big plant, and uh, started with a very small lab, and uh, and just kept spending my time very wisely and productively uh, in, 99, I started in 95, 99, one of my co-packers who would manufacture for me, put my name on it, they'd bill me, I'd bill the customer, uh, called me up and said, Sarah Lee's decided to shut this operation down. And that was about a million dollars of my revenue going through them. And I said, well, can I buy it? And uh, the answer was yes, and I got a, a really good deal with uh, book value and equipment and usable inventory if I took their employees, which I did because I didn't have any to operate a, a plant. And uh, this is when the risk comes in, the financial risk. Uh, i have been profitable since day one, It made good money, but didn't have enough equity for the bank to loan me the two and a half million dollars I needed to you know buy this operation buy some land build a building and get into get into business and uh, my banker, you know said this is great I wish we could do it. we just can't I know some vulture capital I mean venture capital people uh, a group here in town that uh, might be able to Help you with some financing. So I had to. Uh, I approached them, sat down with them. They uh, and I needed about five. I needed about a half million from them, and then the bank would loan me the rest, because subordinated debt is looked at as equity when a banker is looking at your financials. So you know they said. You know, we expect to make 25% on our money. Talk about loan sharks. They take, uh, their debt is subordinate to a bank. So the bank gets paid first if there's liquidation. And then then they get paid. And that carries a a risk risk premium. And, uh, but anyway, it's a lot lower cost financing than selling stock and getting investors. In giving up ownership, which I decided to do, we were very successful after we got the plant built, got running, and uh, I was able to term out the uh, the debt with that vulture, I mean venture capital group, and uh, uh, just kept on going, moved ahead, pounded down to the debt, and in '07 made an acquisition of a company in Memphis called Tastemaker Foods, and uh, they were a dry blending operation. Our operation did wet and dry. My base of business at that time was was selling to industrial accounts, people like Tyson, uh, ConAgra, Foster Farms, I think Cargill. <coughs> and uh, <clears throat> they were all food service uh, as far as their sales so we were able to and they only had dry so we could now offer both liquids and dry seasonings sauces batters, breaders, marinades rubs biscuit mix corn dog mix funnel cake mix in fact our corn dog mix is very special uh And and the carnival people, I've been to a few carnival shows uh, where there's, it's a trade show where they are selling and showing all the stuff that a carnival person might buy. There's a guy selling all the crooked games, okay? And I go up to his booth, I said, so how do you win? You don't play. (laughs) So uh, tattoos, you know, the... Temporary tattoos, rides, you could go on a ride, didn't have to stand in line. Uh, all the cheap toys and stuffed items and all that stuff. And we had our funnel cake mix and corn dog mix. And our big pitch was you don't have to dry your wiener before you dip it with our mix. Which is important if you're making corn dogs, because it takes time to dry your wiener. And uh, if you don't dry the wiener, you get blowout with most other people's, but ours is special. Cool. Uh, let's see, what else did I need? To, oh, talking about when I was here in school and working, I worked full time, went to school full time. I managed a restaurant. Uh, No longer here. It's now a Mexican restaurant over by Starkville High School. Used to be a Western Sizzling. And uh, so I worked there full-time, went to school full-time. Every afternoon, I would give free coffee and pie to the cops. And being nice to cops, I found out, very, very helpful. One night I was going home, I'd close down the, the uh, restaurant, going town, Octoc Road. I lived out about five miles outside of town. This old GTO pulls up behind me, revving engine, burns out around me, and I just, I'm on a 1,000cc gold wing, and I just laid on it and uh, passed him, went around a 90 degree corner, and then there's some roller coaster hills, and then there's some S turns down there. I left him way back in the dust. Come over those roller coaster hills, I see the blue lights up in the distance. This is like one in the morning. And uh, pull around the corner, the cops there, there was a car in the ditch, he flagged me down. I had expired safety safety inspection sticker, expired tag, and who knows how fast I was going. And he goes, What you doing out here so late? I said, Well, I live out here and I manage Western Sislam. And uh, I was headed home. He goes, "Oh, okay. Well, how fast were you going back there?" I said, "I don't know, 45, 50." He said, "There is a trooper back there in the bushes. Says you were going so fast he couldn't even get you on radar." "Oh, there was a car behind me. I thought they were going to run me over." "Where'd they go?" "I think they turned at the cemetery." "You go on ahead. We'll get them." <laughs> True story. <laughs> Uh, so be nice to cops, okay? So anyway, the, uh, it's been a, it's been a crazy ride as far as, uh, being able to do it. But it, it took a lot of years, working a lot of hours for other people to learn enough to be able to and have the opportunity in the window of opportunity to do what I did. And uh, we're in a position now that we get calls almost every week from people, you know, interested in acquiring the company. I could could have cashed in for a lot more, but I basically gifted my company to my sons. in exchange for a deferred compensation plan, company credit card, and a company airplane, so it's 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 not a bad deal. So, any questions? You, you got to ask too. Go ahead. This is one. I found out what I wanted to do. I I realized. I didn't want to be a bum, and I really enjoyed working with food and people. And to me, it's not a hypocritical business; it's honest. You want to make money. Uh, You know, people go into medicine not because they want to help people, because they want to make money. Uh, Lawyers to uphold the law—they're some of the sleaziest people that I know. They'll call you up to ask you a yes-no question uh, that they know the answer to so they can bill you for 20 minutes. You're 30, 30 seconds on the phone with them and you get the bill at the end of the month and they and, uh, 100, 120 bucks. So go ahead. Well, like I said, I I realized I enjoyed working with food and people, and I didn't know uh, much about business as far as accounting and this and that, and I didn't know, I I knew how to cook food. I had Colonel Sanders teach me how to fry chicken, okay. Mm -hmm. Honest to God, he came to my store, I won an award, comes in, he goes, son, this isn't really the way it's done. Let me show you how to do it. And uh, he had a different way of doing it, different temperatures and different settings. The only problem was there's no health department in the, in the country that would probably would allow anybody to do this knowingly. Because he'd, he'd warm up the chicken to 90 degrees in the sink in hot water. And then you bread it and you, you cut down your cook times and change your temperatures and it's, it's better. It's juicier, more flavorful. Uh, and by the way, son, this isn't really the secret recipe. Let me tell you where to get it. <laughs> <laughs> but it helped me tremendously, the food science, as far as being in the field and developing new food products, new packaging, and stuff like that. And there are so many people that don't go into to what their major is, I've got an ex-daughter-in-law that works here in the one of the departments, administration department. She majored in nutrition. Uh, my wife got a, a B.S. in speech pathology. Never used that. She did have a nursing degree also and a degree in Montessori teaching. So. She used those two, but not that one. Um, if you can find something that you're passionate about that you really enjoy, it's it's not work. You you look forward to getting there, and you stay longer than you should, and and get a lot of stuff done. If you're at in a position or at a job where you you know, you don't like it and you don't like the people you're around and with, it's terrible, so, go ahead. Well, the company—it uh, was American Cad Company—and they were a premier packaging company at the time. Now, since they've merged and divested and all, but they—they owned Northern Dixie uh, Paper Products. They had uh, cans. They had an insurance company. They had this retort pouches and plastics, and uh, so I knew it was a. It would be a. An amazing experience, even though I didn't know what it was. I knew it had to be good. So, and my job was to go out to potential customers, put their products in our containers, and then evaluate the product over time. So I got involved in all the chemical and organoleptic flavor changes. They they even had a, a they had all these taste panels at the research center. They even had a beer taste panel okay, honest guy, they had a trained panel that they would send people out for training to train them how to taste beer, okay? And they'd, they'd spend thousands and thousands of dollars to train these people. And one, one problem they had one time, there was a kind of an oily off note that they were complaining about in some brewery or whatever. And they did all this stuff, and they had GCMS and all this analytical equipment. And what they found out was they'd changed the lining, the material, the lacquer that they lined the can with. Okay? And that molecular structure was big enough that allowed some of the lubricants to come through from the metal into the beer. And those lubricants were used to punch the can, that punched the aluminum to make the can. So, I mean, it was all kinds of stuff he learned and uh, get involved with. But uh, the food sciences is is special. And i I've, I've going to meet over there at 530. The Food Science Club is going to be meeting. And uh, I'm going to stop by and say hi to them. So, uh, go ahead. Back there the back. What's that? for a engineer? A yeah, young, uh, young engineer. Go you you won't have problems finding a good job. Number 1, okay? There should be a lot of different opportunities. Try to find the the job that you think would fit you first and go to work to, to learn about whatever it is and and learn that business and learn that engineering, and then see where it takes you from there. My brother-in-law was an engineer. He came out of Brown University and Ivy League School in the Northeast and went to work for a company called Wheelabrator in engineering. Wound up in sales and then changed jobs later on and went to work for a company right before... It was a tower company that made radio towers. And he started with them right before cell phones hit. And you can imagine what that was like for him. And he was in sales, what that was like for him during that boom period with cell phones. So he's, he's had a very successful career, and he's enjoyed it uh, tremendously. So back in the back there. Yes, I did. I, I mean, I, when I was a little kid, I, uh, my dad had an office about a block from the high school, and i go down there on Friday nights and sell parking places to people for a dollar, me and my buddy, and we'd split the 10 bucks, 10 bucks each, and we, we were set. That was a lot of money back then. And I, I mowed yards for, and uh, always wanted to have business. So go. go ahead. Big red. No, go ahead. Go you. Uh I've made a bunch. <laughs> Hopefully uh I don't make the same one over and over again, expecting different results. So... Uh, I'm not sure. I'd have to think about that for a while, but I've, I've had a bunch of I've had a bunch of doozies. And uh, you just gotta pick yourself up and and make sure you don't do it again. So how about behind him back there? You had your hand. What? Was it? Okay. Over, over in the corner, there. yeah. Um, I had run the numbers. Uh, our controller uh, at McCarty Foods, where I work, the poultry company, was a good friend. He's a really good financial guy, and he's then went to work for me and he's just retired this year. But he and I worked through the numbers and it looked like it would work. And then the big investment was that acquisition of my co-packer at two and a half million dollars. And there we, we did a lot more homework and we knew that it would work. And we were growing fast and and when we we brought the business in that was at other co-packers, and saw how it was going to go, that's when we approached the Vulture Capital people about terming out that debt, getting getting rid of it. So, go ahead. yes, yes. Uh, it was on retort gallon size retort pouches, in in processing them and sterilizing uh, that in. Uh, live steam which nobody'd ever done before so uh, canning is placing a food in a container hermetically sealing it and then sterilizing the food and they sterilize it with heat and the retort pouch isn't a can but it it's the same principle and uh, so it was a it's pretty interesting. And uh, Any other questions? Go ahead. Oh, absolutely. And you got to prioritize it. But time is all you have in life. That's all you have. And how you spend that time will determine the outcomes in your life. I mean, that's, that's what it is. Any others? Oh, go ahead. How do you recommend get like sort of Well, first thing is make sure you go to class, okay? Next thing is when you're in class, actively listen, okay? I, I had a, a retired general from the Air Force They wound up his last assignment was training. And he he told me that retention is about 90% better when they had active involvement, engagement, as opposed to passive. And most classes are all passive. You sit there, you're supposed to be this empty vessel, and your professor fills you up. But if if you can try to engage and think about what they're saying to a level... Where you remember, where you can ask a question in class, you will remember the material a lot better, and you won't have to study as long. And then when you study, especially memorization classes, make flashcards or use that app they've got now, and and go through it multiple times a day. So you you when it comes test time, you don't have to kill yourself. And then you'll have a lot of other time. I mean, I, I did it full-time and, and did extremely well and worked full-time. If you're not working full-time, there's other things to do. So, uh, you know, enjoy your friends and, and uh, enjoy the, the stuff that goes on here in campus. I mean, it's it's amazing. This is an amazing place very few schools like this. This is a big, small school. I mean, it's a major SEC university, a major research institute, but it's only half the size of most of the rest of them. And quarter, probably a quarter the size of like Texas A&M. Uh, and you get to know your professor you can get to know your professors if you want to here, or you can get lost if you want to. So. I mean, it's, it's the best of both worlds. And they've got so many different programs. I mean, I, when I was here, two of my electives, one was Western Equitation. I don't think they offer that anymore. That's horseback riding. One-hour-a-week uh, lab, you go to where the volleyball is. Now they had to rank, ride a horse. Another one was uh, Intro to Flight Science in aerospace. The final exam is your exam for your private pilot's license so you learn about all that stuff so I mean this 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 program here uh hopefully it'll be able to listen to a lot of good people a lot better speakers than I am I'm sure are going to come through but don't be afraid to ask questions listen actively listen and uh you know and, and then uh prepare you prepare yourself for the next step any other questions comments yes the the technical part you have to know okay and you have to be able to to isolate variables and test for things and that type of thing, and other people can do that, but you have to know that stuff. and And most of it is directing people, managing people, motivating people, uh, trying to find the right people. That that because a a company, an organization is just a group of people working together and you can't be successful unless unless you've got some some people that are they're pulling the cart, so to speak. What, what is your favorite how you, how out? Well, we do over two hundred different barbecue sauces, over two hundred different rubs, uh, all kinds of mixes, matters, breadings. I'd rather talk about what I don't like because I, I I I like a lot of things. Uh, I will not eat. Uh, and this goes back. This goes back to a course I took here called uh, Epidemiology of Foodborne Disease, Okay, and one of those diseases. And and when you study this stuff, and you're doing it in your st- you start feeling like you got some of those symptoms. <laughs> and uh, one of them was perihemolyticus, and it be welts under your skin. you pick it, a little worm would come out. Sometimes a worm would crawl out the tear duct of your eye. Okay? This is a, a disease you can get from eating raw seafood from polluted water and they have a fairly high incidence over in Japan of this. And if I could find a fish that I knew was not in polluted water, I might try sushi, but I'm not going to eat raw sushi. Unless, unless I'm in Japan with a Japanese guy, which I've, I've had it before, and it was pretty tasty. And I will not eat uh, any neural tissue type things, any sweet breads, brains, uh, <clears throat> any of that stuff. There's a book written by a, a Pulitzer Prize-winning author about the work of a Nobel Prize-winning scientist that discovered this link between this neural tissue and eating it and in humans it's called uh, Crutchfield-Jacob's disease, and it's a spongy form of the brain. And in, in sheep, it's called scrappy. In cows, it's called mad cow. And he found it wor- as working as a uh, missionary in New Guinea, and he noticed a high incidence of these women dying. And. In, doing an autopsy it was a spongy form of a brain, spongy form in the brain, and he, he published this paper and he started getting letters from all over the world, people seeing the same morphology in other animals, other species, and they tracked it back. In New Guinea, when somebody died, the tribe would practice cannibalism, and the brain from that person had died, they thought that they would gain the, their wisdom and knowledge by eating that brain, so they did, and they'd wind up dying, that that make you want to go out and eat something, so there's there's only a few things I don't like, and That's 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 the two. you do. Go ahead. Well, since I went to school before calculators, certainly before cell phones, I'd probably get into some kind of tech thing before it started. You know, looking back, who knew? Who knew that Microsoft would be what they are today and some of these other things? So, I mean, but I don't know. I, I really enjoy food and people. So, any other things? Go ahead. Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, that, that the financial risk came later after your initial twenty five million dollar investment. You mentioned the loan charts as well. Were uh, there any other risks, like financial risks? Kind of yeah, the world? yeah. In '07, when I acquired Tastemaker Foods, I had to go out and leverage myself. I, I had to borrow $7.5 million, so I was up over my eyeballs, and this is 07, if you remember the financial crisis that happened, okay, well, I didn't know it was coming, and uh, the banks tightened up, but you know, they, they didn't tighten up on us too much, and we did extremely well with that acquisition. We, we We've since moved out of that building and, and bought another place. We're 50,000 square feet up in Hernando now. We've moved it from Memphis down to Hernando and over 100,000 square feet in Pearl. So, and we're out of space. We, we're, we're growing it, still growing really fast. So, Back in the corner. I, I I think communication skills are key and critical and if you if you ever have uh, you ever heard of uh, Stephen Covey he wrote uh, a bunch of books, but one of them is the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and he gives you these seven habits, and I would suggest you go look at that. And those are, I think, so key and critical in in being successful uh, in, in anything. So Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. They have it on audiobooks, too, so you can listen to it while you're riding in the car. It's good stuff. So we'll thank Mr. for today. Well, right. it was my pleasure. Okay. Seriously. And good luck to to all of you. There is a quiz that just got released, so make sure you knock that out sometime between now and next Thursday. If you ask a question, there's a second quiz for that. Make sure you complete that and get full credit. You're, you're so tough. You're so mean. You're, you're so, so hard.